We went to this local bakery. My uncle and I were in line and there's this older white man right in front. And he kept looking back at us and my uncle was very confused. My uncle cracked a joke because he's just a funny person. So he was just like, yeah, you got to keep an eye on this one. She's a troublemaker, you know, as a joke. And then this guy turns around and he's like, oh yeah, they're all troublemakers. You got to keep them out of here. We were wow. like, wow. Hey, and welcome to I'm Adopted, Now What? A podcast where we talk about all things race, culture, and identity, one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode this week, I am chatting with Suda, who is the podcast's first Nepali adoptee. She is currently in high school, applying to college, and just a really great energy, which I think you'll be able to pick up from listening to our conversation in just a second. In this episode, we had a chance to talk about all kinds of stuff, most of which kind of centered around the idea of diversity and the importance of diversity. Of course, we also go into a little bit of Suda's own personal adoption story and all of those details we will get to. She does a great job of uh, storytelling later on in the episode. But yeah, we talk about diversity, whether that be, you know, of your parents, you know, diversity between your parents, whether they're different races, different sexual orientations, uh, diversity in terms of where you live and the town and the state that you're, you live in and the community you're a part of, how diverse is it there? And does the presence of diversity or the lack of that diversity impact one's identity development as a person, as an adoptee? A great question that we get to uh, in our discussion. We also talk about diversity in terms of applying to college. As I said earlier, Suda is in the middle of that right now and diversity is top of her list for things she looks for when deciding where to go to school. All kinds of stuff and how diversity plays a role and is intertwined throughout our lives in all different ways and how it impacts us and all of that good stuff. I Truly so enjoyed chatting with Suda and getting to know her. She's got such a good energy. I feel like, you know, she was just one of my girlfriends. We clicked really well. So let's get right to it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining me this week. I have Suda here with me who is currently living in North Jersey and a student right now in COVID uh, to help cope with everything going on in the world these days. She enjoys songwriting and playing music. Hi, Suda. Thanks for coming to the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, so the audience will know this, but I like to start by asking all of my guests, uh, you know, why you're here. Why is talking about adoption important to you? And, you know, what is your, what is your connection to, to the adoption world? Right. Uh, so I actually heard an episode of your podcast 
which kind of sparked something in me to start talking about it more. Um, I'm adopted from Nepal. I was adopted when I was about one year old, so I don't remember anything about Nepal, obviously. Um, but I think it's important to kind of connect with other adoptees. I think that's something really important. Um, I have a friend who has a sister who was adopted from Korea, and she never really talked about her adoption growing up. It wasn't a big part of her life. Um, but in COVID, we started talking a lot more, and she realized that it's really helped her kind of cope with and deal with her identity as a person, as an adoptee. Um, so I think it's important to connect with other adoptees, and that's why I'm here. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, I was your message to me on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I always love getting messages like that. It's really nice to know that, you know, it's what I'm doing is having a positive effect. Um, so yeah, can we get into your like adoption story a little bit? Yeah, um, totally. I know you mentioned you were one year old. Is there anything else uh, like detail wise that you know about in, in terms of your adoption? So I have a closed adoption, so I don't know my birth family, my birth mother, anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, I was adopted from Kathmandu, Nepal, uh, from just a small little or, uh, organization, orphanage. Um, so I actually got to go back to Nepal in oh, ninth wow. grade, which was amazing. We got to go back to the orphanage. We went uh, on this trek near the Himalayas, not actually the Himalayas, because that would be insane <laughs> but um and we got to stay in Kathmandu we went to Pokhara there it was beautiful um I think it really helped though that I have always been connected to Nepal Nepal has always been a big part of my life uh both of my mothers have made sure it's been a part of my life mm -hmm. and going back it didn't feel just like another vacation mm -hmm. it felt like I was connected to Nepal and I think that was really nice that's awesome. And when you say we, you mean the three of you, your moms and you? Yeah, my moms and I went and then my aunt joined us. Oh, okay, um, wow. Yeah. And the original intention of that trip was to visit your orphanage and kind of give you another way to connect with, with Nepal? Yeah, um, growing up, going back to Nepal has always been like part of our family. We always knew we would go back. It was kind of a matter of when mm -hmm. I was ready, when we were ready as a family. Um, and I've been to the heritage camps. I think I told you that mm -hmm. uh, the Indian Nepali heritage camp in Colorado. Yeah. So um, that really helped me immerse myself even further into the adoptee kind of circle. Um, and there was someone there who went back to Nepal and my parents were like, why don't we just go? Um, so it was kind of perfect timing, beginning of high school. Um, so I got to really take it in. And then um, it's just really helped me as an adoptee going back there. It, it was amazing. It still feels surreal to me that I went back. That's so awesome. Wow. I bet it's a beautiful place too, aside from all of the heritage stuff. Yeah, it really is. Um, there is a lot of pollution in Kathmandu. Mm. But um, once we got on our trek, we just turned around at one point and the Himalayas were just right there. It, it was beautiful. It's beautiful there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Do you have any siblings or are you an only child? So I'm an only child. Um, so mm -hmm. it, it definitely is. I've always wanted another sibling. I know mm -hmm. a lot of the uh, people you interview have siblings, maybe adopted siblings or just uh non-biological siblings, but I've always wanted a sibling, but I'm an only child. Yeah, I can definitely relate to you there. I 
I am also an only child mm-hmm. and I still to this day, like want a sibling. I wish I'd had a sibling right. when I was younger. <laughs> Do you feel like you're interested in one day seeking out your, your birth parents on your own, or is it part of the, um, close adoption that you like don't do that I think when we did go back to the orphanage we did talk to whoever was in charge to see if they had any paperwork Mm -hmm. um they didn't it's Mm -hmm. definitely something I've thought about a lot like who my birth parents are um why they decide to put me up for adoption that's Mm -hmm. always something I think about um Mm -hmm. you know what situation they were going through um definitely sharing what what you come up with when you think about that I usually it's, I think a lot of Nepalese women get married young. They have kids young. They're not Mm -hmm. ready to have kids. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually they have to keep the children. They become mothers, but Mm -hmm. maybe my mother um, had the opportunity to put me up for adoption, knew Mm -hmm. that I would probably have a better life. Mm -hmm. So um, that's probably what it was. That's my idea of kind of what happened. Yeah. 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 Every country that has a lot of adoptees that come from that Mm -hmm. country, I feel like have like what is considered the standard uh, like reason for why, you know, they put their kid up for adoption or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And that totally makes sense. Uh, They usually keep their children like even though you mentioned that they were super young. The yeah, women. I feel like when we went up to the villages when we were trekking, it mm-hmm. was definitely interesting. There were women probably only a little bit older than me wow. that had children. And I guess that's not that uncommon in the United States either. Um, but I definitely think that it's easier to get resources to get help mm-hmm. um, in most parts of the United States than it is in Nepal. So when you're up in a small village, you don't really have that many options of what you could do mm-hmm. except become a mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that definitely makes sense. Interesting. So we don't have to reveal your age or anything, but you <laughs> are in high school, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do you, how does, what is that I mean, I guess, what is that culture like for you? Do you have a lot of classmates asking you, oh, you know, how come you don't look like your moms? Or um, although maybe because you have two moms, you don't get that question as much. How is that like for you in terms of like socially at school? I think I've definitely found my people. I do know a few other adoptees, Um, Mm -hmm. no interracial adoptees. Um, Mm -hmm. Most people were adopted from, you know, Connecticut or Delaware Mm -hmm. or somewhere in uh, the United States. Um, But I think that I have been getting the question, you know, where are you from Mm -hmm. since I can remember? And then they're like, well, no, I say my town. And they're like, no, I mean, like, where are you really from? And I'll just be like, what if I asked you that? You know, what if the roles were switched? What if I said, where are you from? You said your town. And then I said, no, where are you really from? I also get, I feel like a lot of people are confused of what race I am because my skin is darker, Mm -hmm. but it also kind of looks like I'm mixed or I could be Filipino Mm -hmm. or I I get Indian all the time, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, 
or I could be Hispanic. Um, no one really knows what race I am until I tell them. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely been something I've dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, people kind of know what, don't know where to group me socially mm-hmm. and like, you know, um, so that's definitely been something that I've had to deal yeah. with in high school. Yeah. I mean, the where are you question is just such <laughs> a like ubiquitous experience of yeah. of just every adoptee I've ever met. Yeah. Um, no matter like where you were adopted from or what combination of parents you have, like exactly <laughs> everywhere at every turn, we've all been asked that question multiple times. Yeah. So how have you been um, experiencing the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, um, particularly combined with COVID? I feel like the two like simultaneously occurring um, mm-hmm. is is different than if just one of them had been happening without the right. other at the same time. Um, as you mentioned, you are obviously darker skinned. And so I'm mm-hmm. curious if you've had any experiences with racism or like, you know, direct experiences right. with racism, especially in these times. Um, Black Lives Matter movement obviously has impacted me a lot as a person. It's kind of raised my political views, definitely mm-hmm. helped me kind of figure out what I want to support, who I yeah. want to support. Awesome. Um, it hasn't affected my Asian identity at all. Mm-hmm. I think COVID, on the other hand, has affected who I am as a person, you know, what I want to do, who I want to surround myself with. Mm-hmm. But as an Asian adoptee, it hasn't affected my identity in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the other question about racism, I haven't um, had any experiences during COVID or the Black Lives Matter movement, but uh, right before mm. COVID kind of hit. Um, so my one of my moms is Italian. So getting dessert is like a big thing. Dessert is a big thing. So uh, my uncle and my aunt came to visit us and we needed pastries, of course. So we went to this local bakery mm-hmm. and uh, my uncle and I were in line and there's this older white man right in front of us. And he kept looking back at us. And my uncle was very confused. He was like, what, what is he doing? What is mm-hmm. he doing? And we had no idea. So um, my uncle like cracked a joke because he's just a funny person. So he was just like, yeah, you got to keep an eye on this one. She's a troublemaker, you know, as a joke. And then this guy turns around and he's like, oh yeah, they're all troublemakers. You got to keep them out of here. We were wow. like, wow, we, we didn't even have anything to say back to that because it kind of didn't sink in. We were like, wait, did, did that just happen? Mm-hmm. And then we realized he probably thought this was also actually, you know what? It was probably more pre-COVID because I feel like this was right during the Trump, the first Trump election. Uh-huh. So building the wall, that was mm-hmm. a big thing at that point. So this man probably assumed I was Hispanic and my mm-hmm. uncle wasn't my uncle. He was mm-hmm. just some random guy saying that. Wow. So that was really my biggest encounter with racism ever. And I'm never going to forget that. It was mm-hmm insane to go through that, you know, mm-hmm. how did, how did, how did you feel emotionally? Yeah, I, I was, I guess 2016, I must've been, I was younger, definitely, obviously, um, maybe 14, 13, but, um, 
so it was kind of surreal to go through yeah. that. I, I, I had heard stories, of course, on the news or even through friends, I've heard things, but to go through it personally, mm-hmm. that was definitely, it was kind of insane because I've definitely dealt with my whole life. My family obviously is all white. Um, mm-hmm. One of my moms is Irish and the other one is, like I said, Italian and she's also Ooh, Swiss. Yes. So I, I always use this analogy, but it kind of feels like I'm, it's our, my family is a gra- piece of graph paper mm-hmm. and I'm just like a colored in little box. I kind of stand out. So whenever we would go to restaurants or in public, really anywhere, I would always have stares, but no one ever dared to say anything, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it was it was a surreal experience. Mm. How did those stares make you feel? Because I feel like one, another thing that I hear all the time, I myself mm-hmm. have experienced it, right. um, is the constant staring and sort of almost like ogling. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I, that, that whole thing affected me in a very, like I was just always very self-conscious um, like physically appearance wise, like, oh, do I have like crazy hair that's making me yeah. look weird? Or <laughs> is there like, are there like sleep crusties in my eyes yeah. or, you know, like something like that. And so I, I'm wondering how that kind of affects you if it does at all. Right. When I was younger, I think it affected me more like kind of how you were just explaining. I didn't know why I was being stared at, why my mm-hmm. family was being stared at. I was mm-hmm. I would always be confused like, why are you looking at me? What's wrong? But like now obviously I realize it's because I don't look like the rest of my family. And I've yeah. kind of I don't think I'll ever come to terms with that. I'll always kind of have that feeling of I don't belong even though my family is so loving, they couldn't love yeah. me anymore, but it's kind of you always feel a bit out of place. Yeah. Um and I think the stares and the gazes kind of just come with being an, ad- an adoptee a lot yeah. of the time unfortunately because people don't understand how a brown person could be with like 14 different white people and how that's normal. And I think definitely people in my town, at least, definitely have a different, have a liberal view of the world. So mm-hmm. it's not as much, I don't get stares here really when we go out. Um, so that's kind of nice when I'm yeah. in my own town, I don't have to deal with that. But definitely if I go visit family or something like that, um, where it is more conservative or it is a lot of white people, it's definitely more stares and gazes. And it's it's always weird to go through, but any adoptee I've talked to has always said they've gone through that. Yeah, it's, for yeah. sure. Yeah, definitely. We are both from New Jersey and I do feel like comparatively to a lot of other states, New Jersey is pretty diverse. Oh, definitely. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad you feel like you have your own, your own like little space. Like a bubble. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> where you can be not stared at. <laughs> um, you are, you're applying to college, right? Like right. I'm going right through now. that whole process. Um, are you, do you feel like your adoption or being adopted plays into any thoughts you have in terms of what you want to study, what you want to go into, see if you're interested in college or not really. 
Um, I think right now, actually, I'm thinking of majoring in international relations, Mm -hmm. which is kind of ties hand in hand with being an interracial adoptee. Yeah. Um, So honestly, right now, my plan is to major in international relations, then get my um, master's degree somewhere else, and then maybe open my own adoption agency. I think that would be like the dream to do something like that. Oh my Um, gosh. So yeah. Um, So cool. Yeah. um, So that's kind of my plan right now. Um, Diversity is definitely something I look at at Mm -hmm. every school I Google. Mm -hmm. I I've grown up in a relatively diverse town. I like to keep that. I know that's not everywhere in the world. People aren't fortunate enough to have as much diversity as I've grown up with, but I definitely think going to college in another diverse setting would be better than to being the only person of color in the room ever, you know? Definitely. Well, yeah, yeah, I've, I've talked to a couple of people who are in college and Mm -hmm. they are, they, they find themselves to be like the only person of color in their class and it is uncomfortable. It is. Um, (laughs) So I think that's totally great. Although not to say, I mean, you're applying to college right now. It's, and also to any other college soon to be college uh, goers that are out there, you know, you definitely don't have to have it figured out. You can kind of, yeah, definitely. If if your answer was, I have no idea, then that's totally good too. (laughs) Um, But I think that is so cool. I have never heard anybody suggest that before as something that they were interested in opening their own adoption agency. How amazing would that be? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think going back to Nepal and seeing my orphanage, really just like that helped a lot. And also my moms and I have talked about it, obviously, you know, what are you going to do? What's your future? And I think that's the best way to tie in. I think adoption is always going to play a large role in my life and I always want it to. Mm -hmm. So I think opening an adoption agency or really doing anything around adoption would just be the perfect job for me. Wow. That's so, so cool. I will say, I definitely have noticed that uh, people from closer to your generation, um, mm-hmm. where they're either in college right now or about to be, um, and have like, they've had so much more early exposure to their like cultural heritage mm-hmm. than I did when I was the same age. And, I feel like it makes a world of difference. Like I'm sitting here listening to you and you sound so (laughs) just like mature and knowledgeable and in touch with, uh, you know, with your adoptive identity. And I just like comparatively to me or other people who I've talked to that are my age where, oh my God, we didn't have any clue about anything yeah. <laughs> until like recently. And it's yeah. just really nice to, to know and to witness younger people becoming more familiar with that and embracing that earlier in life. I think that's yeah. so cool. It's probably one of the most exciting things I've discovered from all of this is that, you know, it's changing in, in good ways and that Definitely. generations to come will have so much more help and information and tools and supportive structures in place Mm -hmm. um, to really embrace 
wherever, whatever culture they want to embrace. And I think that's just so amazing. Yeah. I'm assuming you're pretty, your relationship with your moms are pretty open. Um, (laughs) and you know, I just, can you describe a little bit of what that's like and is it, um, you're the first adoptee I've talked to, I think that has two moms. Um, and so whatever you feel comfortable sharing on that front as well is, is, has it been different for you? Has it not been different for you? You know? Yeah. I think again, this town has really been a fortune to me because there, I do know a lot of other adoptee families or, um, gay families that have two dads, two moms, um, I think there's a lot of different family dynamics in my town, which really helps or help is helping me uh, currently still um, kind of being able to have two moms and not feeling weird about it. Yeah, Um, definitely. Yeah. I think having two moms has been a great experience for me personally. Um, It's nice to kind of have two girls in the house and um, I, I love, I love having two moms. I do wonder definitely like what, it's like to have a dad. Mm. Um, you know, I, it's funny. Uh, I have a friend who has two dads and she's always like, why don't I'll pick one of your moms and you pick <laughs> one of my dads and we'll switch for a day. And I just want to see what it's like. Um, mm-hmm. But it definitely would be interesting to see what it's like to have a dad, have a male figure in the household. Um, but I think having two moms personally, being an adoptee has really been helpful. And I'm sure adoptees everywhere who have a dad and a mom have just as much support, but I think, you know, having a child was a lot easier to adopt rather than having a sperm donor or something else. So I think, um, not that's more normal, um, in the LGBTQ community, but I think it's definitely something more common. And I think, um, even when we go to the heritage camps, there's a lot of families with two moms or two dads. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really helped me seeing that I'm not the only one, you know? Um, yeah, definitely. Nice. Uh, was it, do you feel like it was more you kind of saying, let, you know, can I go to this heritage camp or, you know, (laughs) let's go to Nepal or was it, do you feel like it was more your parents, kind of saying, hey, do you, are you, would you be interested in going to this heritage camp? And would you be interested in going right. to Nepal? Or was it, was it like split even? Definitely my parents are the ones who found the heritage camp. So mm-hmm. they're the ones who brought it up first. Um, and we've actually, I've actually had other Nepali adoptees now. I've recommended it to them and they've come, which is amazing, um, kind of to just expand that camp right there, even larger. Um, uh, But yeah, they definitely brought up the heritage camp to me first. Um, But going to Nepal has always been an idea in both of our heads. I think it feels like I brought it up, but it definitely came from them making Nepal such a big influence in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And what other ways have they, have they done that? Um, You know, they seem like super open-minded parents Mm -hmm. um, and very like honest and open with you and communicating about you're adopted. And, you know, Mm -hmm. if you have any concerns or questions about that, you can come to us. Right. Um, Aside from the camp and the trip, 
what are some ways that you uh, kind of bring the Nepalese culture in more of like an everyday way? Right. Uh, so I went to Nepali school when I was oh. uh, definitely in elementary school. Um, so I went there. That was actually all Nepalese families. So we were the only, they were the only two white people in the room normally. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but that was definitely, you know, I tried to speak the language that kind of tri- tripled off pretty right. quickly. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I got to learn dance about the food oh, and that wow. kind of younger me totally appreciates it now to be able to look back and be like, hey, I learned about my culture so young. Um, and I think that definitely has helped me uh, identify as an Asian mm-hmm. American, um, wow. being able to immerse myself into Nepali culture since I was young. That's um, so cool. Nepali yeah. school. I like yeah. it. <laughs> I don't even know how they found that one, but they did. So. <laughs> That's um, so cool. Yeah. I've also always kind of been in touch with other Nepali adoptees since mm-hmm. I was a baby. There was a girl who I was in the orphanage with, and we we're basically like sisters. We kind of arrived oh, at no. the same time and we left at the same time. Um, so she's going to play a role in my life, I think, forever. So, wow. uh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That yeah. I think you just answered my next question, which was, you know, do you have like a a strong like Nepalese adoptee group and it sounds like you do which is so awesome yeah um again going back to that camp it's really changed my adoptee vision on the world um uh yeah I have a great network of other Nepali and Indian adoptees um so you know we all keep in touch it's more we talk about actual adoption when we're at the camp and we're mm-hmm. kind of forced to. Mm-hmm. I find it funny because there's something called heart-to-heart talks, which everyone pretends to dread. But I really think that we all deep down love it because we just mm-hmm. get to talk about things that we don't get to talk about in our everyday life with our friends who wouldn't understand. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, but we definitely all keep in touch and that's something that is great for me and all of that's them, awesome. I'm sure too. Yeah. That's so amazing. I think that's one of the other things I've noticed um, in doing all of these interviews and for the podcast and stuff is adoptees who had like a lot, like, you know, as you said, a great network of mm-hmm. other adoptees, not even necessarily from the same country, yeah, yeah. but just a group of adoptees goes a long way in terms of identity development because you mm-hmm. as you said you have like a, an outlet to talk about things that other people wouldn't understand so I think that that's awesome I know you might be a little young to be have thought about this but you never know because when I was <laughs> your age I definitely was thinking about this you've been very clear that adoption you know you want it to be a part of your life forever and it's a huge part of your identity do you mm-hmm. feel like it'll, you know, so much so to the point where you would adopt your own kids? Oh, definitely. I, I think I want to have my own kids as well, biological children, Mm -hmm. if I'm able to definitely, but adopting definitely is something that I've thought about. Mm -hmm. Um, Nepali adoption has become incredibly 
hard to do. So you either have to live there for three years and I guess you're with the kid. Um, I don't really know how that works or the birth parents have to give written consent that they are giving up their child for adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I totally love to live in Nepal for three years. So I definitely would be open to adopting from Nepal. Um, I haven't really thought about where, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> adopting a child is definitely something I've thought about and definitely something I want to do. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I I don't, I don't even know the answer for myself to that question, to be quite honest. Um, I think I want to adopt. I don't know if I want to adopt from China or not. (laughs) I've really never thought about it, but this is what I'm talking about where, you know, we're, you know, we're sitting here and there's a decade between us and I, you have thought about things (laughs) that I have yet to think about. So I, and I think, I mean that in the best way, I think that's really great and beautiful. But that's a good segue to kind of my last question, which I like to ask. I try and remember to ask all of my guests, um, speaking of children, (laughs) which is, you know, if you could share everything you've learned, you know, about your identity as an adoptee, but also as just Suda, um, not the adoptee, but just, you know, as you are, Mm -hmm. uh, if you could share a piece of advice that you've learned to either your younger self or, you know, your future children, um, (laughs) about that, about identity and self-acceptance and loving yourself, what would you say? What would you share? Um, I think this is definitely going to be a cliche, but kind of not worrying what other people think. Mm -hmm. I think that's a lesson I've learned the hard way, definitely. But it's totally paid off. And I'm still learning about the lesson, obviously, because I'm still in high school and I'm Mm -hmm. going to be learning about that for the rest of my life. Uh, But I really think just kind of being you and not worrying about, you know, the beauty standard, I definitely think is something that, you know, I've had to deal with, Um, you know, white, blonde, blue eyed woman is Mm -hmm. kind of the beauty standard in America Mm -hmm. and kind of all over the world. And I think dealing with that and realizing that, oh, I don't have to fit in like that. I don't have to look like that to be accepted. I think that's definitely something I would tell my younger self, kind of Mm -hmm. don't worry about what other people think of you and kind of just be you. I love that. I definitely resonate with that, that blonde hair. I I would have killed for blonde hair and blue eyes (laughs) for many years of my life. So I totally relate to that. And I think it's super important, especially for young girls out there, Yeah, female identifying people. I think that's great. And obviously, you know, if you feel confident in the way that you look, then that confidence is going to manifest into. Yeah, it kind of radiates into yourself. Yeah, exactly. On the inside. So that's awesome. I think that's a great piece of advice. Definitely corny, but all of the answer to this question is always corny. And um, I think it's just spot on, especially for, as we were talking about earlier, like the the generations to come, the younger generations Mm -hmm. that are going to listen to this podcast or go to your future adoption center. Um, (laughs) You know, it's, we need to hear that all the time. Definitely. Thank you so much, Suda, for coming on this show. Um, I love talking to you, getting to know you. The 
uh, podcast's first Nepalese guest, hopefully first of more to come. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and thank you all for listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed hearing Suda and I chat about all of this stuff. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm Adopted, Now What? Hosted by me, Liza. If you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at imadopted.podcast. See you there.